0: Sound good this morning. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. I want to uh, want to welcome each of you. I know we have a lot of family and and friends with us today and if you're uh, if you are a guest we, we do welcome you and are thrilled um, to have you with us. I do want to while I'm thinking about it as you um, as you leave this morning especially if you are a guest please know in fact we strongly encourage you um, as you're leaving you drive across the grass that's okay. Sometimes people go, oh, can we drive? Yes, drive across the grass. It'll be easier because the services are coming in and out, and and as we are um, full, as you can see, very full, we want to create the safest way for you. Now, the Catholics may be parked out there, um, (laughs) because they were. They were using our spot, and I say this every year. You can clip them. It's all right. Just uh, (laughs) um, I'm totally kidding. I love St. Francis. They're our friends. I'm just in case any of you are wondering, like, who is this guy? I'm just joking. Um, we had a wonderful service. And, and while I'm thinking of, of them, just want to say a, a word of thanks to everybody who has been a part and, and helped in every ways, front of the house and back of the house with setups and participation and leadership in uh, each of our worship services this week, including uh, the, the Stations of the Cross, which we do celebrate with our friends across the street at St. Francis. But Monday, Thursday, and then the Good Friday services, and then the, so far too, this is now the third this morning, our sixth of seven this week. Uh, it's been a great week, and um, we just thank all of you that have been a part of that. You see the beautiful uh, lilies out this morning. Uh, if you did purchase a lily, uh, in honor or memory of a loved one or you'd like to see those memory cards they're on each of the tables around the room and you can pick one of those uh, big um, bulletins but we do ask uh, if, if you did purchase one if you would leave it until after the next service so that the third service can enjoy the lilies. And then you can come back either after or during the week. And we'll let you pick out whatever uh, Easter lily you would want. We'd certainly want you to do that and take those home with you. But, uh, but anyway, I do just again want to thank everybody for, um, for what's been a great week. And of course, today is the, the central profession of faith in the, in the Christian church. Today we join with, with brothers and sisters around the world to celebrate Easter, to celebrate uh, the resurrection of Christ, to remember the story of that, that morning. Each of the Gospels which tell uh, very similar stories of women going to a tomb uh, to, to anoint a body. Getting up while it was still dark in our first service this morning. Uh, I was open with those words because we start at 6.30 and it's still dark. And remembering that's, the, that's both the literal and figurative way the day began. It began in darkness. And as they go to say goodbye and to have a funeral, they're encountered by the light of life, the resurrection that chases away the darkness of the day, that chases away the darkness of the week, that chases away the death that had overtaken them and gives way to life. And so that is, that, is, that is who we are. We are an Easter people. This is our day. And so that's the central importance of why we gather but I would be neglectful if I didn't at least acknowledge there's something else going on today and warn you, because it's April 1st. <laughs> April Fool's Day. Now, when I warn you, I, what I mean, we didn't, we're not doing anything here to you. There's no, don't worry about it. There's nothing under your chairs. We haven't booby-trapped. This is the worship space. You're safe. You're good. We're not going to mess with you. But I don't know your family and friends. So just be aware, I've, this is the day you've got to be careful, you know, you grab that cream filled donut, be careful biting in, because it could be filled with mayonnaise. That's, I've read, I saw a tutorial on how to do that this week, I didn't do it, but I saw a tutorial on how to suck out the filling and put in mayonnaise, that's wrong, but it is kind of funny. Um, the other one I saw was to take an onion and to put it on a stick and to dip it in caramel, and make it look like a candy, car, ca- candy apple. That'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> so again, I don't do any of these things, but I'm just telling you to be aware. So it's that day, and I, um, I went and read. I was trying to find out where this day comes from, this April Fool's thing. There's, it is only the 11th time in over 300 years that Easter and April Fool's have fallen on the same day. 11 times since 1700. Hasn't happened in over 60 years. 1956 was the last time. It'll happen again in 11 years, but... Um, but I went and I was trying to read and find out where this day came from. And there's, every time I read, it was a different theory. So I, there's no real conclusive um, idea of where April Fool started and why, why we celebrate it or, or why we acknowledge it or why people have fun with it. But they do. And it's not just individuals. It's not just your family members you've got to worry about. Because over the years, corporations and businesses have gotten into it. And I went and read and I found some stories, you know, as I t- trace threads that uh, said the the greatest April Fool's pranks ever and there were some really really good ones in 1956 some of you may have read this or you may even remember but the BBC British Broadcasting Company they have a history of doing this kind of stuff and uh, they ran a story and you can go online and you can follow you can watch the newsreel of it and it was all about the very uh, healthy and significant spaghetti crop that was being harvested in Switzerland that year Think about it. Think about it. Let it sink in. They showed footage of these farmers, these local farmers, picking spaghetti off of trees. They went all out. They talked about how the warm winter had contributed to the healthy crop and that the, the um, spaghetti weevil had been kept at bay that year, and people bought it. They bought it. There were stories. People were calling in. The BBC has done this a few years later, and I don't remember all the details, but they had an astronomer that did this special on how on April 1st at 9.47 a.m. the planets were lining up in such a way that it was momentarily going to offset some of Earth's gravitational pull. And if you jumped into the air at exactly 9.47, <laughs> you could levitate. And they counted it down on television and people, and then people started calling in and reporting how they had floated around their rooms. <laughs> no lie. We, we will buy into this stuff. I mean, it's, it's great. In 1996, Taco Bell floated a story out there that they had bought the Liberty Bell, and they were renaming it the Liberty Taco Bell, <laughs> and people were furious. Um, 1998, Burger King ran an ad, April 1st, USA Today, that they were launching their new left-handed whopper. <laughs> and they showed a diagram of how they were turning all the, the, the tomatoes and the lettuce and everything on the burger 180 degrees for the left hander. And people showed up wanting to order their left handed whopper. So I mean there's all this kind of thing. now my favorite, now my favorite because I fell for it, because it worked on me, was in nineteen eighty five. And it was, uh, I was, as a kid, I grew up reading Sports Illustrated faithfully. And in 1985, they ran a story about a young prospect that had been discovered by the New York Mets baseball organization, a pitcher by the name of Sid Finch, who had been clocked at throwing 163 miles an hour. And people, and they had the whole story, it was a whole article about this phenom and he'd come out of nowhere and he was kind of a recluse and his entire story about him and people and I bought it everybody bought it and this was the lead paragraph of the story this is what it read it said he's a pitcher part yogi and part recluse impressively liberated from our opulent lifestyle Sid's deciding about yoga and his future in baseball now here's why that paragraph was significant if you took the first letter of every word of that paragraph it said happy april fools day <laughs> but people didn't know it and mets fans particularly were ticked off when they found out but but here's the point this is why why I start with this this morning the idea of an april fools prank or a joke is to to get people to believe into something that isn't true to to buy into a lie a myth a story something that's that's fictitious Paul knows when he writes, and we're going to turn in a moment to 1 Corinthians 15, he knows that part of the challenge that the early Christians faced, and Christians of every generation since, are those who wanted to undermine the resurrection, wanted to undermine the report, the the, the foundation of the resurrection, by claiming it was like a left-handed whopper, or or a spaghetti harvest, that it, it wasn't true, that it wasn't real. And so Paul begins to address that. And I want to read just a, a few verses in this chapter, 17 through 22, and then I'm going to jump down to the, to the end of the chapter. This is what we read. Paul says, and Paul writes, Word of God says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who, are, who, who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as, a, as, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Now moving to verse 53. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Brothers and sisters, we pray here God's blessing on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, that that we would open our hearts to, to hear your word, to hear your truth spoken into our lives, to claim the hope that we have through faith. Bless these moments, bless these words, bless this hour of worship all to your glory and draw us close to you. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. The late Billy Graham said that if he was an enemy of Christ, he would attack the belief in the resurrection. He would attack the belief in the resurrection because that is the heart of Christianity. That is the heart of Christianity. The foundation of our faith is the profession of a Savior who suffered and died and on the third day rose again. And the truth is for every generation that has come since the resurrection of Christ, they've had to contend with that. Who That question, who is Jesus? It's the question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? And we have to contend with this story, this account of the resurrection. Either we have to dismiss it, or we choose to believe it. It's it's one or the other. There's no gray area here. And and Paul knew that. And Paul had to deal with that. As every generation of Christians since has had to deal that deal with that. And those early Christians had to deal with those who sought to undermine their faith by undermining the accounts of the resurrection, the faith in the resurrection. And they did it in two ways. One, they claimed it never really happened. That was the first thing. If you want, you just just it didn't happen the way that the disciples claimed it did. Now, of course, to do that, you've got to come up with an alternate theory because they, so many witnesses accounted for it. And so they did. They, they had a number of theories to discount the resurrection. One was that it was a hallucination. The disciples imagined it. They were so grief-stricken. They were so upset over the death of Christ. They imagined these appearances. Now, I, I'm not doing an entire sermon here on apologetics and things, but, but there's some immediate problems you've got, to come, you've got to deal with there. And one is that there were up to 500 people who accounted to have seen the resurrected Christ. That's a lot of hallucinations. And there were groups of people that all had the same experience. Jesus didn't just appear to individuals. He appeared to groups of people. So you have to believe that they all hallucinated the same thing in the same place at the same time. That's generally not the way that works. So, so we, can, we can begin to, and there's more, you can begin to chip away at that. And of course, there were those that said the disciples made it up. It was just fictitious. And, of course, if that's the understanding, then then the question becomes to what end, to what purpose? Because, remember, they all died on account of this testimony. Eleven of the twelve disciples died. John was exiled to Patmos. The Stephen and Paul and the others that came, they died for this. Now, there are a lot of people that will die for a lie. I mean, that will, will, will sacrifice for a lie, I should say. But not many people are willing to die for it. I mean, if, if there's a self-serving fib, you know, we might go with it for a while, but our lives are at stake. We're generally going to recount that one and that there's no testimony of the disciples ever recounting their faith. Nobody ever stepped forward and said, wait a minute, this has gone too far. So, so we can begin to challenge that. And, and then there were some others. They were more outlandish. There was the swoon theory. I've, I think I've talked about this before. It was the idea that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just kind of went into a, um, a, shade of, a, a state of shock. And so he was taken off the cross, and when he was placed in the tomb, and in the damp tomb, he revived and was able to walk out two days later. Of course, if you're going to believe that, then you've got to believe that a man who was beaten to within an inch of his life was then forced to carry a cross to a hill called Golgotha, was nailed to said cross. Six hours he hung there, then to have a spear thrust in his side... And the Romans, who were master executioners, conclude that he was dead. Then they placed him in a tomb, and in two days of laying there, got strong enough to roll the tomb away and sneak past the guards. If you can believe that, then your faith is stronger than mine. I will tell you there. So, so there's that, and then there was my favorite, was always the twin brother theory, the idea that Jesus had i I'm not making that up. He had a twin brother. Twin brother showed up. So, ta-da! Here's the point in all of this. The idea of those who wanted to say your faith in the resurrection is foolish. And then there was, there was another side of it, and that was those who wanted to say, and Paul dealt with this, that Jesus did come again because he was the son of God, but that doesn't mean anything for us. That doesn't mean anything for us because we are not resurrected, just Jesus. And of course, we can understand that a little bit because they got to see Jesus, but you and I, when we've lost loved ones, uh, we don't see their resurrection, they don't sit up out of the coffin and have a final conversation with us to let us know. We, we don't get that kind of, that's an April Fool's joke right there. Pope that pops up. That'll give you a heart attack because we don't expect it. You don't go to a cemetery expecting anybody to come out of the grave. So, so there was this idea that it was for Jesus, but it wasn't for us. And when you understand that, you understand Paul's first words that I read. If Christ has not been raised your faith is futile. What Paul is saying is, if this is not true, if we have bought into a myth, then we are the April fools. Because it is all in vain. In fact, he goes on to say, if that's the case, we are of all people to be most pitied. But of course, Paul didn't believe that. Not for a second. In fact, he goes on to say, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He goes on to say and the scriptures testify, the gospels and the epistles and the writings that testify that this is the foundational event in the redemption of humanity this is God's plan to bring forth our salvation that Jesus who taught who led who who healed would suffer and die to be raised again and this is why it is important and Paul wants to make it very clear because he has experienced new life we through him experience new life for death comes through Adam Paul says so life comes through Christ and the, 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 the bedrock of our faith is the belief that through faith in Christ, the resurrection that he experienced, the victory over death is ours. We're invited to, to that hope. We're invited to receive that promise. We're invited to live into that faith which changes eternity, changed human history, but has forever changed eternity. It is who we are. We are an Easter people. And this defines our faith. He has risen, he has risen indeed. But the question is this, why does it matter? Why does it matter for us? And there are two truths I want to lift up today, two points as to why this resurrection faith is so fundamentally important for us as disciples of Christ. And the first is this, it allows us to let go of the fear of death. This entire series, through Lent, has been about our invitation to let go of things. And the invitation that we have through faith is that we get to let go of the fear of death. It is not that we won't face death unless God's kingdom comes in fullness in our lifetime. We will face it. But Christ says through faith in him, you do not need to fear it. Society historically has always pictured death as the last great enemy, the unconquerable enemy. Jesus says, no more is it unconquered. Death has lost its victory. So we're invited into that eternal promise. And and, and we see glimpses of this. Jesus speaks to this in John chapter 14 as he's journeying to Jerusalem, as he's moving closer to the cross. He says to his disciples, because he knows what their road will be as well. He says to them, And if you let me paraphrase, this is my paraphrase. He says, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Because in my Father's house are many rooms. And remember what he says. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you also will be. And that's not a temporary, but that's an eternal promise. Where I am, you also will be. In Luke 23, when he's on the cross and he's got a criminal on his left and a criminal on his right, and one of the criminals is mocking him, remember Luke accounts that the other one looked at him and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It is a declaration of faith. He doesn't even ask for a place, he just says, Remember me. And remember what Jesus says to him this day you will be with me where? In paradise. You will be with me in paradise. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be apart from the body, to be dead, if you will, is to be present with the Lord. So the scriptures testify to this promise, this, this glorious truth that we can let go of a fear of death because we have been given victory in Christ. As all have died in Adam, so all are made alive in Jesus. And it is not futile, and it's not a myth, and it's not a prank, and it's not some great hoax. It's the foundation of our faith. And so it is the promise of what is to come. But hear me say this. If that's all it is, if, if our faith is simply about the promise of what is to come, the promise of eternity, if that's what we're waiting for, then we've missed the gospel. If that is what we've staked it all on, then we've missed the Gospel. Because Jesus invites us, faith invites us to let go of the fear of death so we can take hold of the opportunity and the fullness of life. Eternal life is not just something that begins when we die. It begins when we die in Christ. We die up front so we can live. And Jesus invites us into a faith that begins to change the world. Jesus invites us to embrace life. See, we do this. Naturally, we do this. Even those of us with the strongest faith, I don't know too many of us that are sitting around going, I can't wait till I die. I don't know how many of you country music fans, but uh, Kenny Chesney sings that song, Everybody Want to Go to Heaven? Nobody Want to Go Now. You know? I mean, we embrace, we want to hold on to life, and God created that in us. That's, that's natural. That's not an indictment of our faith. It doesn't mean that we're afraid of death, but we want to take advantage of the days. We want as many of those days that we can have on this life. We want to be able to make them count. There's a story about a guy who went to doctor for his checkup and to, to just get everything looked at. And they ran the test and they did the blood work and the doctor came back in and he got a sullen look on his face and he said, I'm sorry. He's like, you have a, a terminal illness. There's nothing we can do. The man just took a deep breath, and he looked at the doctor and said, Doc, thanks, thanks for telling me. I appreciate you being honest. Um, how much time do I have? And the doctor said, Ten. The man looked at him and said, Well, ten what? Ten months? Ten weeks? Ten days? The doctor just said, Ten. Nine. Eight. <laughs> seven. We want more time than that. (laughs) We want to embrace the days that God has given, and we should, but we embrace them because they're created and we're called into a purpose. We are called to take the life that we're given through the resurrection of Christ, to to let go of that fear of death and to embrace life in a way that allows us to live in to the call of Christ, to, to, to make a difference to have an impact. That's that's what Jesus did, and that's what we're invited into. If If you think about for a second the creation account in Genesis, what you have in Genesis is you have a perfect overlap of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world as Jesus created them in perfect union The the realm of heaven and the realm of humanity where God walked with Adam and Eve. where, Where there was perfect communion and perfect relationship together. And if you remember that Genesis account, that relationship was broken. Those worlds were fractured because of disobedience, because of sin, because of rebellion, because of our desire intrinsically to have it our way and do it the way we want to do it. And so those two things no longer could coexist the perfection of God and the sin of humanity and the story of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation is of God's delivering God's restoring the kingdom for which he has created for which we one day wait to come in full that's what Revelation talks about the new king the new heaven and the new earth but in the meantime there are moments where we get to see the overlap of these two things in the Old Testament, we saw it when the people would go either to the tabernacle or to the temple to worship. And the animal sacrifice was taken out. And the idea was, behind the sacrifice, was that it atoned for the sin to create a clean space where we could coexist for a few moments, where we could have communion with God. And so the people would go into the, the temple and into the holy places where they could experience God's presence. Where the sacrifice was made, they were, their sins were accounted for, and they could experience The overlap of the kingdom of this world and the experience of the kingdom of God. It's interesting that the temple was decorated very often with plants and trees and and vegetation to make it look like a garden. So we see this overlap. Well then, in the New Testament, Jesus comes onto the scene. And you remember at his baptism, when John the Baptist sees him, you remember what John said? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the one who comes to create a clean space for us to experience God's presence. In fact, John chapter 1 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what that word dwelt comes from? It means to create a holy place of tabernacle. It was the same kind of dwelling that the people would experience when they'd come into the temple. God came to be near to us. God came to create a place where we could experience his presence. God came to create a place where we could see the overlap of the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus says over and over. Behold, the kingdom of God has come. And so Jesus steps into the sinful places. Jesus steps into the broken places. Jesus steps into the mess, and he begins to show us what the kingdom of God looks like. He begins to show us what it looks like when those who are marginalized and pushed aside and devalued are invited into the inner circle, where women are invited in, where children are invited in, where lepers and crippled and broken are invited in, those who society has said have no value. Jesus says, come, because you are not the least in the lost. You are the first. He invites them in. We get to see what the kingdom of God looks like, where the playing field gets leveled, where the broken, the afflicted, and the possessed are healed and restored and made well. We get to see what the love and the grace of God looks like. That's pockets of the kingdom of God. But here's what is so, so important. We're invited to participate into that. We're invited to not just receive it. We're invited to be instruments in which God uses us to live into the values of the kingdom. So each week when we've talked about things that we've let go, we've talked about letting go of control, we've talked about letting go of expectations, we've talked about letting go of a sense of superiority, we've talked about letting go of your enemies. What we've talked about is letting go of those things so we can take on the values of the kingdom of God. We can take on the values of love. We can take on the values of faith and of trust and of forgiveness and grace. We can begin to reflect Jesus. Because here's what we have to remember about the invitation of Christ. It is not just a promise of what is to come. It's a promise of what we're called to in the here and now. We're invited to be instruments of God's work in restoring his creation. That one day in his time will be made complete again. And so if our faith is just about what's coming, then we've missed the invitation of faith, because there's really only a few scriptures that talk about the kingdom come, but there's a ton of scriptures that talk about living out love and grace and forgiveness and service and the character of Christ. So we are invited to let go of a fear of death so we can take hold of an abundance and an invitation to true life. And that's a beautiful thing. In fact, it reminds me of a story Thomas Long told of a a little boy who, um, his heroes in life, he was just a little guy, and every morning he'd watch TV, and his heroes in life were Mr. Rogers and Captain Kangaroo. Remember Mr. Rogers and Captain Kangaroo? And one day he heard news that was beyond his comprehension. Mr. Rogers was going to be on Captain Kangaroo. (laughs) And that was just more than he could take and so every day he woke up and he asked his mom and dad is today the day is today the day and they said no not yet but they had it marked on their calendar they had planned their schedules around being in front of the TV on that day because as I tell my kids you know there used to be a day when you actually had to watch a TV show when it aired on television if you were going to see it there was no DVRs and, and other tricks and so on that day they're in front of the TV he looked up, and there it was—Mr. Cap- Rogers and Captain Kangaroo. And for one minute, he watched, spellbound, and then he walked away from the TV. And his father was perplexed, and he walked up to his son. He said, "Son, why? Why aren't you watching it?" And his son just looked at him and said, "Dad, dad, it's just too good to be true." It's just too good to be true and, and just to be overwhelmed by the moment. Well, well, here's, here's the truth. It is seemingly so good. It just seems too good to be true. But it's not. And the invitation is to believe because Paul says in faith we have life. But then don't miss the last verse. See, I always miss this. Because I focus so much on the, the imperishable must put on or the perishable must put on imperishability, I focus on the mortal must put on immortality, death swallowed up in victory. Those are the words that resonate with me because they're so hopeful and so promising. But here are the last verse as we close this morning: Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Therefore, because of this truth, because of this promise, because of this gift we have, therefore, stand firm. Always give yourselves fully. To the work of the Lord. Always give yourselves fully to the work for which you have been called because your labor in, in the Lord is not in vain. Brothers and sisters, let us let go of that fear of death so we can grab hold of the labor that we're called to fully grasp the work of the Lord. That's the invitation of faith to be difference makers, instruments of God's peace, his grace, to model his kingdom. Let that be the testimony of our Easter faith, not just the songs we sing, the words we profess, but the love we show and the life that we lead. That is the invitation of Easter. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for the invitation that you give us to call us to faith, to to receive the gift of life through the, the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ but remind us that, that that life begins now, and it begins in the way in which we are called to live into the values of the kingdom of God, to take hold of life and to live your love. Help us to do that faithfully, obedient, and empowered by your Holy Spirit. We pray it now in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.